0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, church. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. We are in a sermon series, The Word of the Lord. And so the word from our God today is from Psalm 15. If You guys, let's get right into it. Open up your Bibles to Psalm 15. Now, when I finish reading this, I'm going to say the word of the Lord, and I want you to respond thanks be to God. All right? Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He who walks in blamelessness and who does what is righteous. Who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on their tongue. Who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his neighbor. Who despises the vile person but honors those who fear the Lord. Who keeps their oath even when it hurts. Who lends their money without usury, without expecting something back and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, for your word, we always give you thanks. For your word is life to us. Even when it doesn't feel like it. For you spoke the world into being. And so your word is our very life so today as always we pray for ears to hear and hearts to follow and lives that will obey and God I pray for the gift of preaching in the name of Jesus Christ your word to us amen so when I lived in Uganda for those of you that are visiting I was a missionary for six years in Uganda when I lived in Uganda or actually before I ever lived there I started going to Africa when I was in college And one of the big struggles for me uh, was when I got to Africa, the way Ugandans, Africans, Kenyans, the way they related to time. (laughs) Now I'm not the most punctual person in the world, but I'm raised in a culture that has watches either here or on their phone Right? If you are on time, you're late, some people believe. Right? We are pretty obsessed with time. Like the whole world works based on the clock. Think about your life is run by your calendar. What's happening at the 9 o'clock hour, what's happening right, at 10.30. Even if you look on our Sunday sheet, for those of you that are involved in worship, I mean, it's timed out like uh, 10.27, uh, uh, 10.07, we're going to walk through. We're going to start at 10.28. We're gonna, I mean, it just goes right down and everything's timed. That's how we live. When I first got to Africa, though, I found that when I would meet someone on a short-term mission trip that did a Bible study, they would be 30 minutes late, an hour late, two hours late. And so I didn't say much about it, but I thought, oh, man. And it was reinforced by a story of one of, my, one of my teammates and one of my mentors, Brent Abney, who told this story when he first got to Uganda. Now, I'm not a type A personality. Brent Abney is a type A personality. So he tells this story and God bless him for living through it. Because when you hear this, a type A, as a type A, is just gonna drive you crazy. So when he was first in Uganda and they were wanting to plant churches, he met someone deep out in a a village and he met him and he said, hey, you know, they agreed they wanted to do a Bible study and and this Ugandan man invited him back to do the Bible study and so he said, well what time should I meet you next week? And he says let's meet on this day at sunrise. So this was back in the 90s before really the internet was really going and for sure wasn't in Uganda and so Brent this Taipei personality went back and looked in the almanac exactly when the sun is going to rise. <laughs> to go. I know, seriously, he's he's serious. Which is really funny because it's basically we lived on the equator; it rises and sets within 10 minutes every single day throughout the year. But this was his personality, right? So, it's something like 6:30 in the morning is when the sun rises. So he gets up and he drives an hour and a half and he's there before 6 a.m. He's not gonna be late. 6.30 comes, guy doesn't show up. 7.30 comes, guy doesn't show up. 8.30, 9.30, the guy doesn't show up. God bless Brent, he waited till 10.30. At 10.30, the guy comes walking up. And Brent Everything in him was just like it's driving me crazy. But he said, I was a good missionary, and I greeted him and said, how are you doing? And he was very polite and kind. And then he said to him, I said, hey, you said we were going to meet at sunrise. This, I was here at 630 in the morning. I mean, I've been waiting for four hours. Why weren't you here at sunrise? And I kid you not, this Ugandan man looked up and he says, but the sun is still rising. (laughs) To which Brent was, yes, yes it is. It is still rising. (laughs) But I remember hearing this story and my own experiences and thinking, man, I don't understand this. Like how do you get anything done? Like our relationships so much depend on right? showing up on time and having this sense of shared time. And so I was actually an intern with Brent Abney and another guy named John Barton. And I was just sharing this with John. I was like, how do you work? How do you have relationships when, how does life, how does life work like this? And we were actually driving on our way out to the village where I was gonna do something called bonding, where I was gonna stay, uh, go out, and they were gonna drop me off with the family a Christian family who, whom they knew well, they dropped me off Friday afternoon and they say, see you Sunday afternoon. He's gonna go live for three days, two nights in a mud hut with his family. And he says, as I was talking about this relationship with Ugandans and not understanding and how do you live this way, and he says, do something. See that watch on your, on your arm? Take it off, throw it in your backpack, and don't ever look at it. And sure enough, that whole weekend, not only did I not look at my watch, I didn't even think about it, I didn't need it. And that experience right there changed my relationship with Ugandans. I understood them after that weekend. Because when the sun rises, that's when you get up, and when the cool of the day, that's when you go dig in the garden, and when it rains, that's when you plant. and when a visitor comes, that's when you greet and you talk. And there's just a rhythm of life that has nothing to do with the numbers on your wrist or on your phone. It changed the way I understood Ugandans and it changed my relationship with them. In Psalm 15, there's a question. The question is this. Who, Lord, can dwell in your presence? Who can live in your sanctuary on your holy mountain? And this is a psalm that is a preparation song for those that are making the journey to Jerusalem to worship. And in some ways, this is a a question. Not just who, but it's a, a who can be in your presence, but it's a question of, God, who can understand how to be in relationship to you? To be in your presence and to be in a type of relationship. I mean, you're you're God. You're the God of the universe. How do we be in relationship with you? And the response, the answer to this question, reads kind of like a law, like the law. In fact, you can divide it up from verse two all the way to verse five. There's actually, you can divide it up into ten different commandments. And so the answer to the question is, one who walks in blamelessness, who does what is right, who speaks the truth from their heart. In other words, this is what blamelessness is, that your, your actions are justified. That the community can't look and go and blame you. And it's connected with this idea about righteousness, that, that a righteous person is someone that always does what is right. And here's what that looks like. The righteous one is the one who invests in their community, who live generatively in their community in order to sustain and enhance the community's well-being. It's not just a personal righteousness, but it is is doing what is right so that the community and the well-being of others is enhanced. And it's one that tells the truth. There's integrity of speech. And so, what he's talking about here, to live blamelessly and righteously, and to tell the truth, it's this life of integrity that is life-giving to others. And here's what it looks like more specifically. He goes on. Those who, whose tongue utter no slander And then it says, who does no wrong to their neighbor. And if you go on one more slide, it says this. One more slide. Who casts no slurs on others. In other words, you don't talk about people in harmful ways. You just watch your tongue. You don't shame them with your words. I'm guilty of that. You know, the saying, I've I've said this before, we have this saying, sticks and stones don't break my bones. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's not been my experience No one's ever thrown a stick at me. Well, I guess maybe someone when I was little. No one's ever thrown a stone at me. I've been deeply wounded by words. My guess is that everyone in here has been deeply wounded. More wounded by words than by stones and sticks. And do no wrong or harm to your neighbor. And we have to assume that because this phrase is sandwiched between the commands on how we speak, do not slur someone, right? Do not slander someone. And right in the middle is do no harm to your neighbor. We have to assume that these words doing harm to our neighbor the one of the ways that we do harm to our neighbor most is by our words words are very powerful and it's important not only what you say in front of people it's also important what you say when people aren't there and maybe even more important what you say on the, on the internet and social media it's amazing to me what people won't say, what they'll say on social media. They would never probably say in person. And ultimately, this phrase, blameless, righteous, and truth-telling, I think what it means is you don't do harm to your neighbor, what we find in Romans 13, 8-10. through Love does no harm to their neighbor. He goes on, do not despise, I mean despise the vile, but honor the godly. Now, one of the things that this recognizes there is good and evil in the world. Now there's lots that can be said about this But I think what it's holding up, at least one of the things it's holding up, is it's talking about not just hating at people. Because Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners, people that Jewish people despised. That's not what it's talking about. But it's saying, pay attention to the company you keep. More than just that, pay attention to who you admire, the company you admire. Do you admire the vile and the ways they live in the world? Or do you admire those who walk with God? Keep your oaths even when it hurts. This one's tough. Probably because I am married. Marriage is what I think of the most. Because in other relationships, I haven't made the kind of oath that I've made in marriage. Marriage is hard. It's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's just hard. Sometimes uh, it's true of this for me, sometimes it's much easier to be nice to all of you. I'm nicer to all of you than I am to my own wife. that may be your experience as well because you're around him all the time and the the person I should be the most generous to and nice to is the one I'm around all the time marriage is hard and it will cost you and sometimes it hurts to keep that oath being a parent it's hard And sometimes it hurts. And it'll cost you. But Sometimes it hurts to keep your oath. To keep your commitment. Being a friend is hard. Being a friend will cost you. And sometimes it'll hurt to keep that commitment. Being a member of Christ's body member of this church, being a part of this community can be hard. And it'll cost you sometimes. And sometimes it'll hurt to keep your commitments to those sitting in this room. To the other members of the body of Christ. And there's a difference between people who will do anything to keep their commitments no matter how much it hurts and someone who will do anything so that it won't hurt. Keeping our commitments is how we build the trust that is necessary for healthy relationships. And he says this, Who lends money to the poor without interest? This was, and oftentimes throughout human history, I know things have changed, but this was often a destructive practice. It wasn't a good practice. Because people would be in constant debt that they couldn't, it was debilitating, they couldn't get out of. It goes with not harming your neighbor. And a life that's governed by justice is not one that's solely about or principally about just making money. Abraham Heschel said this, success is not the name of God. But faithfulness is. Mercy is. Justice is. And this is a saying, I think, who lends money to the poor without interest, is that someone who will never let their money go without knowing how it will come back to them. Sometimes, God says you need to live life not knowing if it'll come back to you. And maybe not even really caring. Who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. It is not enough to not harm someone. But to actively look out for the innocent and the poor. I can't tell you how important that is. It's not enough just to not harm. Just say, hey, yeah, I wouldn't, no foul. But to actively look out for the innocent, to look out for the poor. Not to accept a bribe in this context is not a passive but an active act. It is actively choosing to be on the side of the innocent. This is a commitment that might cost you something. It might cost you everything. God, how do we understand this relationship with you? How do we be in relationship with you? You know, this series, The Word of the Lord, we are choosing our text from the Revised Common Lectionary, and there's always a gospel text. And it just so happens that the gospel text chosen for this Sunday, it comes from Luke 10. And so I want to finish up by letting Luke 10 be actually the story that illustrates something about what Psalm 15 is doing. So there is this guy that has a very similar question to the question at the beginning of, of Psalm 15. Remember, Psalm 15 is like, Lord, who can be in your presence? Who can go up to your holy mountain? Well, it says, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you hear the similarity to the question? No, it's not the exact same question. But he's asking, Lord, what does it mean to be in the presence of God? How do I understand how this relationship works? And like Psalm 15, Jesus responds, what is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? And the expert in the law said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So it says the teacher of the law asked this question. Who is my neighbor, Lord? Now I want you to hear this question. There's a lot of ways we can hear this question, but today I want you to hear it in this way. All right. It may be that he's asking this question because he has a view of love that is love is a commodity and therefore is limited. Are you seeing? So if love is a commodity and is limited, I only have so much to give it out. So it's necessary. This is not just like a, I'm gonna try to trick him. This is a necessary question. Well, who is my neighbor? Because if I start giving it out to the wrong people, then I run out of it. So he ask, who is my neighbor? This may be, actually be a legitimate question according to how he views the world. If love is a commodity and love is limited, this is a legitimate question. But Jesus replies, notice his reply. He doesn't answer the question directly because to answer the question would be to assume that the way the teacher of the law views the world is the way things really are. And so Jesus gives him a picture of a different world, one that you've heard many times, but the, the world, it's like this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when, we, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But when a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses that you may have. And then Jesus turns and asks this question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell on the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. When Jesus answers his question, he can't assume the world where love is limited and it's a commodity. He has to give him a whole new framework in order to do that, he has to tell him a story about what this world looks like. And by the end of the story, according to this narrative, the guy has confessed the one who had mercy on him. That's who the neighbor was. Not who is my neighbor, but what does it mean to be a neighbor to someone else? And he says, the one who has mercy. And then he turns to him and he says, if you want to understand eternal life, if you want to understand a relationship with God, if you want to understand who this God is and how to have a relationship with him, then you go and do likewise. Understanding the power in the relationship and the requirements of the relationship. It's about understanding who God is and what God wants. I had a barrier in my relationship with Ugandans. It was this time thing. I didn't understand it. It kept me from fully embracing this relationship because I kept thinking about my watch and couldn't understand why they weren't showing up on time until I took off the watch. And I went and I lived and related to time like they did. And then a whole new world opened up for me. A whole new relationship with all these people who are now some of my closest friends in the world emerged not because of how I thought, but because of what I did. And after I did that thing, after I took off my watch, I understood. Some of us in this room, maybe all of us, struggle with our relationship with God. You don't feel connected with God. You don't feel close to God. You don't understand God. You don't feel a sense of comfort or blessing or you can start naming it, but I'm sure everyone has felt that way or feels that way now. But for Psalm 15, those who live in this way, their eyes will be open and they'll go, that's who God is. That's how I understand my relationship with Him. Last week, Brett talked about obedience and blessing. And I think to frame it out a little bit further, to take it, Brett did a great job and to frame it out a little bit further, we talked about this a little bit this week, is that it's not that you obey and then your reward is blessing. It's that God says, here are my ways in the world. And that when you do them, you'll understand who I am, and the way I operate in the world, and that... Is blessing It's intrinsic To the very act So this week If you're asking Who's God How do I connect with him How do I grow closer In my relationship to God There are many things you can do But let me say this Read Psalm 15 and go out there And do likewise You'll understand and experience the mercy of God. And you'll understand and experience God's life-giving power. Let's stand and worship the God of mercy who gives life.